we truly have to be able to exalt the name that's above every name tonight. Amen. Well, thank you for being in the house of the Lord. Let me welcome our online audience this evening. I don't believe I did that at the beginning of our time together, uh, but uh, so grateful that you are joining with us tonight, wherever you may be also. But tonight we are going to just dive into the word and we're going to go on a journey together this evening. I'm going to give you a couple verses out of Proverbs to set the stage, but then our main text is going to be found in Matthew chapter number nine. We'll be there in just a few moments. Um, but we are going to continue uh, talking about godly leaders in an ungodly world. If you have not noticed, we need men and women to arise and be godly leaders. It's going to be one of them nights, I see. All right. But just because men and women have positions and titles does not mean that they are leaders. We have talked about this. Oftentimes, when people are elevated to positions and places of authority and they have not prepared their heart to be in those places, you do not get leadership, but you get compromise. And when you get compromised, you begin to set yourself on a trajectory that is not of God, nor is it of success. This may mean nothing, and this has nothing to do with my message other than the fact that I was looking through some of the feeds that I get some news and things on, and I shouldn't have looked before, 30 minutes before service, because it didn't set well with me, because of the simple fact I had to pray through it real quick, because, and this, and I'm not, and I want to use this as a, as just an entry to where we're going tonight to show you that compromise is not the answer. I understand that every generation has its preference. Every generation has its identity, if you will. But at the same time, there is some things we cannot leave, especially as men and women of faith and even in places and positions of authority and power. But at the same time, when you're leading people, true leadership costs something. Not everybody will be your friend. Not everybody will give you attaboys, nor should you be doing it for those reasons. But I just read an article, and this is, this is when you know you're dealing with compromise and not leadership because you end up finding a two-tier system, a set of rules for you, but I'm going to play by a different set of rules. It's not leadership. But one of the highest institutions of our land that should be setting the example and leading us into a place of prosperity and a place of the will of God, the things of God, have just adopted a bill that will go in effect this week to accommodate. It was all instituted by one person. But now, no longer this week will you, if you are a sitting senator have to abide by any type of dress code. You can walk in wearing what you will, 
No longer will a man be required to be in a suit and tie. That has always been since the founding, pretty much. If you was walking on the floor, if you was serving, you was dressed in a certain manner because they understood the value of the office. They understood the value of what they was and the weight they was carrying. But as of this week, you will now be able to walk in there in your Carhartt sweater and your gym shorts and nobody think anything about it. But if you get subpoenaed to go in, you still have to abide by a suit and tie or a lady has to wear business apparel. That's not leadership, my friend. That's compromise. And that's why I say, and I use that as an example to tell you this, that our nation is in trouble. And if you think any political party is going to make right decisions right now, they're not going to. The only way you're going to have a politician make a right decision is if they have an encounter with Jesus Christ and they get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they begin to be led by God and not by their party. You say, oh, and I'm not saying you have to be in a suit and tie every day. Listen, I like my jeans and I like my t-shirts as well. But I'm going to tell you something. There is certain things when you begin to go into leadership that there is requirements. And we are losing that rapidly. And I want you to understand with me tonight that it is not about what men say is right, but it is about what God says is right. And there is a difference today. And I want to draw this parallel very clear, this distinction very clear in our, in our minds and our hearts today. It's one thing to have man's vision, but it's another thing to have a God vision. So tonight, for a few moments, we are going to be dealing with a call to dream. So that sounds good, but also I want you to understand with me tonight, we're going to deal with the importance of vision. You and I are very familiar with a passage of scripture in Proverbs 29 and verse 18 where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he, meaning he that is operating in the parameters or the guidelines of the God vision. There is security there, there's peace there, there's rest there. But before you ever get to Proverbs 29, there's a passage of scripture found in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 that you have heard us reference often through the years. And it simply says, trust in the Lord with part of your heart. It says, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto thy own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in thy own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil and it shall be health to thy navel and moral to thy bones. What he's saying is this, if you will operate, if you will trust me and you will trust in the God vision that I have for you in your life and for that which I have called you to, then you will be able to walk and live in a place of strength and victory. But the moment that you begin to give way to something other than that is the moment that you set yourself up for failure. The need for God-given vision has never been greater in modern history than it is right now. The late Edward E. Hale, who was a wonderful minister of the gospel in the 1800s, he is recorded as making this following statement. If you have accomplished all that you have planned for yourself, you have not planned enough. I want to say that again. If you have accomplished all that you have planned for yourself, 
you have not planned enough. Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the, the faith chapter. But notice if you would read through this, you would begin to find that there's about verse 8 of that chapter. It starts talking about Abraham, starts talking about Sarah, and how by faith that they was able to experience the promises and the blessing of God. And, but in verse 13, there is a statement that is made, and it starts talking about everybody. It talks about the lineage of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it's making a blanket statement. It says, these all died in the faith. They all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Notice this, they were all people of vision. It's what they all had in common. At some point in their life, the they that is mentioned in Hebrews eleven thirteen. At some point in their life, there was a trigger where they saw something beyond the present. And they saw what God was doing and what God's promises said could be and what it should be. And therefore, they began to strive for it and began to push towards it. And even though not all of them obtained the promises that they sought for, they still died in faith. I want to make this statement tonight at the very beginning of our time together. If you have a God vision, you will complete a large majority of it, but it will not die when you die, but it will be in a state of continuation and those that you have raised up under you will carry it on into its completion. David desired to build a temple. The Lord said, you will not allow to build it because you've shed too much blood, but I will allow you to make preparation for it. And we find that that which was in the heart of David, his son Solomon built and completed. What am I saying today? Is that we should operate with such a vision of the things of God, and we should have such a God-given vision that when we die, we should still be running after it, believing that there's still more to obtain. I had a few moments this week in the motel one evening and I, I listened to Dr. Tony Evans from time to time. He's a great Bible teacher, powerful man of God. They were celebrating his birthday and he was, he's been at his church for a few decades now and to his credit he has been faithful and he has went through difficulties and hardships at times like all of us have but they surprised him and they interrupted his service and they said we have a take a few moments to honor you today a large majority of your spiritual sons are here in person to tell you happy birthday and one by one by one, a multitude of men began to walk onto his platform. And I saw Dr. Tony Evans place his head in his hands. 
Because he understood this, I'm not pursuing my vision, but what I'm doing is a God thing, and it's God's vision. And we find that over 80 men are currently serving, pastoring, evangelizing, serving on the mission field that has been raised and mentored by Dr. Tony Evans. What am I saying today is the the fact is that a God vision has nothing to do with you but it has everything to do with his kingdom. And there is always multiplication in what God does. I say that to say this, that there is a place that you and I can get as mere men and mere women that's following after God that we can see not just the present and not can we just see what God is doing in our life, but we can see a broader picture of what God is desiring to do in the earth. I ran across this scripture, and I'm not even to my text yet tonight, but I want to share this with you. Jesus was speaking in John chapter number 8, and he's addressing some things with those around him, but then he makes this statement in John 8 and verse 56. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced, get this, rejoiced to see my day And he saw it and was glad. Think about this. Abraham was not just going after a place that God called him to, but because he submitted his heart to the Lord, he began to walk with God. God began to be in relationship with him, and there began to be such revelation that came to Abraham. Get this, we're not talking about five years, 20 years before, but we're talking about hundreds of years before that Abraham was shown by the power of God the day of Jesus. Think about it. And he rejoiced and he was glad in it. Because what Abraham was doing was this. He, He began to not have his dream, but he began to have God's dream. He began to have God's vision. So I want to ask us a question tonight. Do we understand what vision really is? Notice It would be very difficult to separate leadership from vision. All good leaders are driven by vision in the secular world as well as in the spiritual kingdom of God. We find that there is men that is called and developed and positioned and women alike to be leaders and they are not satisfied with simply maintaining the status quo. If you are a person that is satisfied with the status quo, then you need to self-examine if you're calling yourself a leader. Because a real leader is never satisfied with just maintaining. A real leader is always desiring and pushing for more, the more of God. Vision has tried to be described by men Before us, and some would say this, vision is seeing the future in the present built on the past. Others would simply say vision is seeing the invisible and making it visible. Others might say vision is an informed bridge from the present to a better future. But I like how Max Licato simply frames the definition of vision for you and I this evening. This is what he says. A clear mental picture of a better tomorrow given by God, which moves a person to believe that it not only could be done, but it should be done. 
We are living in a day where, can I tell you, it can't just be done, but it should be done. What am I talking about? Is the great commission that has been given to us should not be looked at as something of little importance, but it should be looked at as that which guides us and directs us. Robert Greenleaf, he wrote a book called The Servant as a Leader. This is a statement that he makes in that book. He says, foresight is the lead that the leader has. Once he loses this lead and events start to force him to act, he is a leader in name only. He is not leading. He is reacting to immediate events, and he will probably not remain the leader very long. Listen, my friend, people long for leaders to give them hope as well as to paint a picture of where they should go and where they should be. We know today that oftentimes for many leaders, vision begins as an ideal. It then goes from being an ideal to with very little clarity. I will tell you this and You hate to confess things like this, but you have to be truthful if you're going to teach on leadership, especially if you're talking about a God-given vision. About everything that I've ever done in ministry for nearly the last 25 years, I didn't know what I was doing. It all started with an ideal, and it wasn't very clearly presented to me at the beginning. But then, as it began to become more clear it became a major area of interest in my life that then grew into a passion that began to consume me and even when it looked like impossible I was brave enough or as I said this morning foolish enough I wasn't brave enough to go maybe as far as saying dumb enough to just say that it was possible When everybody else is saying, what in the world are you doing? But can I tell you, when it is a God-given vision, it's possible because he always makes provision for his vision. Are you with me tonight? I want to give us just a few things very quickly this evening. In Matthew chapter number 9, verse 35 and the following is a turning point. It's a pivotal point in the life of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. It is filled with lots of information. I can't cover all of it this evening, but I will do my best to cover it in a timely manner. In Matthew chapter number nine, verse number 35, we read the following. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Chapter 10 verse 1. 
And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Verse 2 through verse number 4 begins to name these 12 individuals. Verse number 5, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into the, any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not there, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Thank you for honoring the word of the Lord tonight. You may be seated. We find in this pivotal moment as we're talking tonight about godly leaders in an ungodly world and talking about a call to dream, we're talking and dealing with the importance of vision. If you are going to be a man or a woman of faith that is going to lead the people of God into the place of promise that God has for them in their generation, you have to become a man or a woman of vision, but not just any vision, but I'm talking about a God-given vision. Now, before I get into these things that I want to mention from this passage that we just read, can I draw very clearly your attention to the differences between a man-made vision and a God vision? You may want to write these down if you're taking notes. Number one, a man-made vision is created, it, you create it based on your gifts and your skills. Secondly, a man-made vision, its fulfillment rests on staying ahead of others. Nothing wrong with those things if you're in the place of the business world. You also, if it's a man-made vision, view other similar organizations as competitors. And then fourthly, its goal is to build your organization and to generate some type of revenue or increase for yourself. That's why you're doing it. That's a man-made vision. But now let's look at what a God-given vision is. Number one is this. It is not based or created on your gifts or skills, but you begin to operate and develop this God-given vision because you receive revelation from God. How do you know something's from God, preacher? Here's how I can detect if something's from God, is if it never leaves me. You can have a dream and it can be unsettling or it can be altogether lovely. But in a few days, you might forget. You may know a few details of it. But how do I know that God is speaking to me? whether it be good, whether it be bad, whether it be a word of encouragement, whether it be a word of warning, is this, is when God puts it in there, it just doesn't go away. There is some things that God put in my life, Brother John, nearly 20 years ago that I have not yet stepped into, but it's still there, it's still burning, and I realize this, that's a God thing. But I've learned this, that I can't enter into it prematurely, nor can I try to make it happen. I just have to trust the process that it will be at the right time if I walk this thing out faithfully. So the first thing that we find with a God-given vision is it is a revelation from God. Secondly is this, its fulfillment rests on the leader's obedience. 
The only way we're able to operate in a God-given vision is if we remain obedient to the will of God and the word of God, the commandment of God. We see, if it's a God-given vision, other similar organizations or ministries, we see them as complementary, not as competitors. Totally different than what a man-made vision is. But then we also see this, its goal is not to serve yourself, but it is to serve others. And it is to advance God's rule. And it's to always bring honor to the kingdom of God and to its king. Very clear distinctions between a man-made vision and a God-given vision. Here's what I will say this evening. If what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do isn't bigger than you, it's probably not of God. But I'd also say this this evening. If serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. I want to say it again. If serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. I want to give you the steps to fulfilling God's vision in your life this evening. I'll see how far I get tonight. But in the passage that I read with you in Matthew chapter number 9, beginning in verse number 35, it is a very pivotal moment. Up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he was doing all of the ministry while his disciples was watching. But in this moment, when you really slow down and read this passage, you find that something changes. We find where Jesus adapts and adopts a strategy to fulfill the vision of the Father and the plan of the Father. Notice what he does. Number one, I want to say to you, if you're going to fulfill God's vision, you have to become willing to get active in service and initiate obedience, no no matter what it may look like. Notice if you read verse 35, the first part of it, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Here is one of the things that people really mess up on when it comes to ministry. And I'm going to give it to you tonight. Do not be offended by what I'm getting ready to say, but allow God to speak to your life tonight. Jesus did not sit around the Sea of Galilee waiting for ministry opportunities to come to him. Verse number 35 says that he went to a few cities. Is that what it said? Read it. It said he went to all cities, went to all towns and all villages. He was out talking to people and entering into their lives on purpose. He actively, get this, the Son of God, he chose to actively serve others right where they were. Was it saying when you get to the synagogue and you get your life all in order, then come and talk to me and I'll sit down and we'll have a theological discussion about your life? No. It was right where they was he began to interact with them and have conversation with them. Notice with me, we must remember God 
always and usually, I should say usually, I shouldn't say always, but usually, God usually shares his vision with those who are obeying what they already know to do. If you've been around this ministry any time at all, you have heard us talk about Matthew chapter 28. Somebody talk back to me and tell me what's in the latter part of Matthew 28. What's it called? The Great Commission. Now I want audience participation. What is that Great Commission? Somebody started saying it. What's it say? You don't have to say it word for word. You was on track. Somebody over here heard a voice. Go to the world. Preach the gospel. Everybody believe we're supposed to be doing that. I'm going to duck after I say this because you're going to feel like throwing something at me. You know what to do, right? Why aren't you doing it? Well, I'm waiting on God to show me what to do. God will not show you anything else to do. Because you're not doing what you already know to do. But yet we choose to have, we desire, oh, I want to be a leader in the kingdom of God. But you're not even doing what you already know you're supposed to be doing. Ooh, I know you wouldn't shout me down on that point. I'll get out of there real quick in a moment. But you find that Jesus is the example. He knew what he was supposed to be doing. He knew the will of the Father. And therefore, he began to engage. He wasn't waiting for an invitation. But he found himself in his day-to-day life moving amongst the people and speaking with them and investing in them. And can I tell you, if you are going to fulfill God's vision for your life, you are going to have to get this. You're going to have to love people. You say, well, people just drive me crazy. Well, you ain't never going to be a leader in the kingdom. And you probably need to check your heart because obviously you don't have the heart of God because God loved people so much that he died for them. So if you and I are going to be leaders in the kingdom of God, listen, uh, you can't, being a leader is not going out and finding 15 people or 500 people that look like you, dress like you, talk like you, eat like you and say, oh, I'm I'm their leader. No, you're just amongst a bunch of people that's boring. Because can I tell you, godly leadership will take you into a place where you're in the midst of a melting pot where you have all kinds of stuff going on, but you're leading them not to become you. uh, But like Paul said, you can come and follow me uh, because I'm taking us to a place where God is. Uh, He says, listen, I will be your example, uh, but I'm not leading you to be my entourage, uh, but I'm leading you into the presence of God and the power of God so that you can be all that God's called you to be. Secondly, tonight, if you're going to fulfill God's vision in your life, if you're going to be a godly leader, and God knows we need godly leaders right now, you're going to have to communicate the revelation you already have. Notice the last part of chapter 9, verse 35. It says, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Do you realize that you already know 95% of what God wants you to know? Or you should know. If you've been in the church any time at all, because 95% of what God wants to say to you has already been given to you, but we will throw a fit, scream and cry and holler and, and beat down his door every day of our life for 5% that we don't know. But that last 5%, we cannot process until we get to a place where we're understanding and operating in the 95% that he already gave us. 
but we have to communicate what we know. A godly leader is a man or a woman. I'm not saying you have to be a scholar, but you have to be a student of the word in such a manner that you know what you're talking about. I will say this. We have done a very bad job of discipling people into a place where they walk with knowledge and understanding of God's word. They have a really hard time of defending their faith of why I believe what I believe. But I can sit with other people from other religions and they know exactly why they believe what they believe because they have been instructed and taught in such a disciplined manner. Listen, even though they are in error, they are in a place where they have understanding and therefore they are communicating the revelation that they have already obtained. How well, this is the question that has to be asked. I'm not asking how well you can sing. I'm not asking how well you can teach. I'm not asking how well you can preach. Listen, those are gifts and callings and those are things that are developed and they, we always grow. And I'm not asking about that, but I'm talking about how well can you communicate the revelation knowledge that you possess. I'm going to be honest with you, and I'll use this just as a point of reference. There's a lot of people that's out there that a lot of people are following right now in the Christian world as well as in the secular world. But if I was to take their smoke machines and their lights and all of their backup talent and all of their backup voices that make them sound so beautiful, and I had to set them in a chair on a stage and say, okay, make people feel what you're saying in your song. It would be about like this right here. They'd just be quiet, nothing. They're like, what in the world is this? Because while they can put on a show, they can't tell their story. Because of the simple fact there's, an, there's a missing ingredient of leadership. There's a few people in the secular world as well as the, as the church world. They don't need a lot of fluff. And I'm not against the fluff. If that's what you're going to do, that's fine. But listen, I can give them a chair and a microphone and just an old acoustic guitar. And they can tell their story. And they can have you in tears because they have the ability to lead you into that place. It's called understanding how to operate and to tell your story. How well are you telling the story of Jesus today? Powerful question all of us may ask. Thirdly is this, we have to learn how to observe and understand the reality of the human condition. In this moment of time, in Matthew chapter 9, we see that Jesus began to process what was before him. Notice it says in verse number 36, when he saw the crowds... He realized, I can't keep doing what I'm doing right now. Up to this point, Jesus was laying his hands on every one of them. He was praying for every one of them. He was doing all of it. And yet he had 12 guys that he had just picked, but they, hadn't, they haven't been released yet. But yet he wanted them to catch a vision of what was his purpose. And as they began to catch that vision, as it began to come into their heart, he then at this moment, for whatever reason, at this moment, Jesus was there among the people watching them. Notice this. He saw 
the pained expressions on their faces. He saw the struggles. He saw the physical elements. He saw everything that was going on, and he stopped long enough to observe and to understand their condition. May I ask this question? We have a lot of people that are saying, I want to be leaders in the kingdom of God. I want to be used for the kingdom. And that's wonderful, and I celebrate that with you. But when was the last time you just stopped to observe the condition of the people around you? When was it that you left your suburban area or your little country oasis and went to the streets of our city, our city, and walked the streets and see little children sticking their heads out of broken glass windows. When was the last time that you stopped and observed the real pain and walked down the sidewalks of our city and see needles laying in the yard where those same babies are playing? When have we really stopped to observe the true pain and the condition and the life that people are living in? I received a call last evening from a young man that I've tried to speak into his life on a few occasions. Word of warning, he's not well. Doesn't want to live, don't think he can make it. I felt that weight instantly come upon me and it's like, I just don't feel like I'm ready to lose another one that was this close in our grasp. Something has to change. But in order for it to change, somebody's got to stop and observe the real condition Do you understand that within a mile of you and where you live, there will be babies and adults that will go to bed hungry tonight? Do you realize that babies won't have anything because somebody took their government assistance and wasted it and traded it in a a criminal manner just to get one more fix and to get one more deal so that I can cope with life today? And, and, And while I love this child, but I'm so messed up, I don't even know what I'm doing. I can't take care of myself, but it's just domino after domino after domino. But we come to the house of God week after week and we sing our song and we dress all pretty on Sunday and we say, we're going to be leaders but we can't relate to their pain we can't relate to their destruction and we say oh but they need Jesus can I tell you what they need is somebody to love them right where they are and not try to dress them up not try to fix them up but somebody to put their arms around them and say I will lead you to Jesus it doesn't matter how bad I smell by the time I get there but as long as I can love you to a place where he is I'm not talking about man's vision, but I'm talking about God's vision. He stopped long enough to observe and to understand their condition. Do you understand their condition? Fourthly, tonight, if you're going to fulfill God's vision, you're going to have to allow God to burden you with a specific need. 
I've referenced it often through the year. If you've never listened to it, I would encourage you to listen to the whole sermon, not just the excerpt of it from Pastor David Wilkerson that is in heaven today when he simply preached a message it must be birthed out of anguish. Notice the latter part of verse 36. He said, it said he had compassion on them because they was harassed and they was helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you understand the intensity of this wording of this passage of scripture? Do you understand that if there's a field of sheep left unattended, it is just a matter of time before the wolf begins to pick them off one at a time. That's why the shepherd is always present. But when he began to look around, he realized not only are these people searching, but they are, they are in need. They are in, they're in the crosshairs of the enemy. And the weight of that moment changed the whole trajectory of Jesus' earthly ministry at that moment because then he began to look around at his 12 disciples and you will find in chapter 10 verse number 1 that he immediately began to endue them with power because he realized this, it's time to commission you to go be leaders in the kingdom. Notice Jesus' heart was moved in such a manner that he felt pity for them and the condition that they were in in such a manner that he said, we have to respond. Can I say to you tonight that we're in a place where we cannot no longer wait, but we must respond now. This is how every vision begins. With a burden. May I be so bold to ask you a question today. When you go home tonight and you put your pajamas on and you get your little blanket and you curl up on your couch before you go to bed and turn on your TV or pull up your YouTube or get your phone and do whatever you do, will you even think about those that lost and died and went to hell today? Because over 125,000 stepped into eternity without God today. They're in utter torment for eternity today. Here is the thing. The next one to step in could be your family member, my family member. But yet we won't even think about them if we're not careful tonight. Some of you are wishing you'd stayed home about right now, but I'm not going to apologize. Because I'm talking about a God-given vision. You see, a vision begins with a burden. You see something wrong, and then something has to be done about it. And you can't rest until you see something change. I, I, I pray to God tonight that there would be such an unrest come back to the body of Christ when we look at the condition of our world, where we say we are so burdened by this thing that we're going to have to stay up all night and pray. We can't sleep this thing away. Fifthly is this, we must seek a divine diagnosis. What is the issue to be resolved? Meaning this, okay, I acknowledge I got a burden for this, but now how in the world am I going to make this thing different? Notice in verse 37, Jesus, he, immediately he begins to bring a realization to the matter. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Can I tell you that's still the same problem today? 
Jesus saw the need. The people needed a physical touch. They needed an emotional touch. They needed a spiritual healing. And he realized this, that I've got to commission some people to do it. If you haven't noticed yet, you're the only one sitting in the room. So I think that means he's commissioning you. He's calling you. Now don't misinterpret what I'm saying. He's not calling you to a title. He's not calling you to a position. He's calling you to a place of leadership. If he gives you a title or a position, praise the Lord. But listen, some of the most effective leaders that I've ever known has never held a title. And they've never held a position. But they walked with integrity and they walked with character and they led people. And there was a few guys that worked for me that way. And if I wanted something done, I just told them because then I knew they could help me lead because of the simple fact they was leaders. What I'm doing today is telling you it's a, time, it's a call to dream, meaning this, it's time to dream that the great commission can become, as my dear friend said, become the great completion. Dr. Howard Foltz is in heaven today. Had the privilege of meeting him late in life. Him and his lovely wife sat at mine and Debbie's table. What a powerful man. Made an impact in my life greater than he will ever know until we get to heaven. In the short time that I knew him. But he understood that the issue had to be resolved. I'm hurrying tonight. If you're going to be a godly leader, if you're going to fulfill the God-given vision that God has for you and your life and your family, you're going to have to learn how to pray to determine what action can meet the need. Let me take you back to Proverbs 3. Do not lean into your own understanding. Listen, a natural approach to this thing will not fix it. But if you get spiritual revelation, you'll know what to do and you'll know how to do. Listen, I'm thankful for the wisdom I'm thankful for the knowledge that we can glean from each other. But just because man tells me I should do something doesn't mean I should do it. Even if that man is a godly man, please hear me. I should only do what God speaks into my heart to do. And he can only speak to me if I will spend time in prayer because prayer is communication. You say, well, I'm waiting on the Lord to give me direction and guidance. Well, let me ask you, how much time are you spending in prayer with him? I'm not talking about, good morning, Lord, thank you. I'm not talking about, lay me down to sleep tonight. I'm not talking about, Lord, bless my food. That's all wonderful and good, but I'm talking about what kind of conversation are you having? Well, preacher, I'm so busy. I'd love to spend more time in prayer, but you know my day is so busy. I've got so much. I dare you. I double dog dare you right now. I don't ever, even ever tell you get your phone out in church, but I double dog dare you to get your cell phone out and look and see how much screen time you had every day this week. And then tell me you don't have time to talk to God. We waste hours every day. But yet we want to be leaders. Everybody okay? We got some first aid kits around if anybody needs. If you're bleeding too bad, 
Wade's not here, but I just cover that. We do have first aid kids. But just know this, the Lord's cutting you with loving hands. He's not condemning us, but he's prompting us and propelling us to a place that he wants us to be better. Please hear me. Notice what verse 38 said. Ask the Lord for, of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So what did Jesus determine would meet the need? More workers. You know what's going to fix this need right now? It's not another election, not another bureaucrat, not another politician. More godly leaders. Men and women that will begin to have a burden like the burden that Christ has and began to pray and say, God, what is it that you will have me to do? I'm moving on. If you're going to fulfill a God-given vision, you must choose a team and you must empower them for partnership. Hear me, you must choose a team and empower them for partnership. Verse 10, I mean chapter 10, verse 1, he called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority. What did he do? He called them together and he says, that which the Father's given to me, I'm going to give you. And then he sent them. He empowered the 12 that he picked to operate in his stead to fulfill the need in which he saw. He had the vision to see it. Twelve men were standing there with him. And none of them was talking about the condition that, he, that they saw. They wasn't talking about the poverty of the people. They wasn't talking about the oppressing of the people. They was just there following him, watching. What, what's he going to do now? What's he going to do now? What's he going to do now? Don't that sound familiar? Wonder what the preacher's going to do now. Wonder what he's going to preach about today. Wonder what we're going to do next month. Wonder what kind of food we're going to have for breakfast this time around. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Listen. He said, y'all, y'all just, nah, there's something got to change. We're going to, you're going to come into partnership. Notice with me. What does your Bible say? Does he say that we are heirs of the Father? But what else does it say? That we are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. He wants us to be in partnership with him. The same power and the same authority, the same anointing, we can operate in. But in order for us to ever, ever operate in that realm, we're going to have to be positioned where we can also catch the vision. In that moment, notice with me, he began to relate to them. You need to pray for the labors for the harvest. And by the way, I'm going to appoint you. And then if you are going to operate with God-given vision, please hear me. You must take immediate action. Here is one of the things that drives me insane, and I've heard it for years. I'll give you a pet peeve as I get ready to close. Well, preacher, when I get a few things in order and I'm a little better situated, then I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to help you. 
and I'll, 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 be, I'll be more free to do something once I get this project or once I get this and once I get that. I'll, there, when, I, when I transition from this position into my new position, then, then I'm going to have more flexibility. And then you have to make the decision to take immediate action, meaning this. I understand that the urgency of the hour cannot be suited based on when my schedule becomes more convenient. But what I need to understand while I'm trying to get my act together and trying to get my schedule where it's not so demanding, then I'm going to go, I'm okay with multiple people within my reach dying and going to hell because it's just not really that important yet. These 12 Jesus sent out in chapter 10, verse number 5. Notice Jesus doesn't hesitate a bit, but he, he chose a team and immediately he sent them. When he chose them, he said, okay, now you're going. And I don't want you to go here. I don't want you to go there, but I want you to go here. And when you go there, just preach a nice message to make them feel all warm and fuzzy. No. This is what he said. He said, when you get there, he said, I want you, I want you to do something. He said, I want you to go into those cities and I want you to begin to preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning this, I want you to sound the alarm that something is getting ready to happen and you're going to have to make a decision. But at the same time, I want you to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. I want you to raise the dead, by the way, while you're there. And then I want you to go ahead and cast out those devils that's tormenting that region how many is ready for leadership now? Because if you're going to be a godly leader, please hear me. If you're going to be a godly leader, this is what's expected of you. There ain't no sissies in this thing. You can't operate in fear in this thing. If you're going to be a godly man and a godly woman that is going to be a godly leader and you're going to say, well, I'm going to follow the God-given vision, guess what? You're going to have to stand in the face of devils. You're going to have to stand in the smell of death. And you're going to have to stand in the midst of sickness. And you're going to have to call some things forth just like Jesus did with Darius' daughter that we talked about this morning. And people are going to laugh you to scorn and think you're crazy. But at the same time, you're a godly leader. You're a man or woman that's anointed and appointed by God. So therefore, you can speak and it can be reversed in a moment because of the authority that you have. And I'm not sure if anybody believes that you can operate in that authority today. But I come to tell you, you can. Because God's still using men and women to fulfill his commission right now. And if somebody's going to get set free, they're going to have, you're going to have to engage in some battle. So this thing is not about position. It's not about title, but it's about calling a generation to dream and to realize the importance of vision. As they get ready to come to the music this evening, I'm going to give you this last section very quickly as you think about vision you might pursue and you might remember that God uses a variety of voices I want you to pause and remember and just think back on how God has motivated you at times past And even what methods he's used at 
other times. But today, we could talk about the inner voice. All of us have had it speak to us at times. Maybe we've struggled a little bit saying, God, is that really you or is that me? But as a man of God, a woman of God, you've probably heard that inner voice that simply says you should and you could and you will. And you listen to it and you've seen God do something special. But then there's probably been times that angry voice comes out. Does your vision come from this dislike or certain injustice or a problem? We see a lot of that happening today. There's a lot of angry voice. There's a, there's a lot of angry sounds today. You have to be real careful with that. You can't let that be what paints your vision. Well, bless God. If they're going to do that, then bless God, I'm going to do this. And we're going to, listen, that'll get you in trouble. That's, 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 that's not how you want to lead your life. That's not how. But we find that if you're not careful, and this is very dangerous, we look naturally at things and we say, oh, but they're so successful. We must really listen to them. They've got it going on. Look at their, look at their business. Look at their, look at their life or look at this, look at that. They're, they're so successful. Surely, if they're telling me I should do A, B, and C, I must do what they say because it's, it's really worked for them. Be very, very careful. God can use men and women, yes, he can, to help speak and direct our lives. But let's make sure that it's God using them and it's not men using their success as a platform to persuade, to persuade you to do something that they think you should do. I will go as far as to say this. There has been very successful men speaking to my life, and I, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. There's one particular man that's a dear friend of mine. At a stage in my life, he said, Ron, I really feel, really like, I feel like the Lord was say this and this and this. And, and I felt like it could have been. I prayed about it, struggled with it, dealt with it. But then there was that little small voice that came back and said, I'll let you do it if you want to, but that's not really what I have for you. But I'll let you do it if that's what you want. The successful voice didn't understand when I said, I can't do that. But it's a good opportunity. Yeah, it is. But it makes sense. Yeah, it does. But it's not, it's not God's vision. I can appreciate the vision, but it's not God's vision, so I, I have to say no. Here's the voice that I think every one of us needs to understand that we should be listening to right now, and that is the higher voice. What's that mean, preacher? I want to ask this question. Can you truly say that you're a big picture person? Or do you live life looking through a keyhole? John Maxwell said it so well. He says there's two kinds of people. Either you're a big picture person 
or you're looking at life through a keyhole, meaning this, I just have this little bit of vision and this is, this is about me and this is about what I feel like. And listen, if this is about, oh, this is the position I can get or this is the place I can get, listen, that's not a God-given vision. But a big picture vision is a God vision that simply says you can take the world I wonder today what vision you have as we stand all over the house this evening. If you're going to be a God-given vision personality, I'll say it that way, there's five things that you can learn from a gentleman by the name of Winston Churchill. It's how he experienced great success. More than 50 years ago, knocking on the door 60 years ago now, actually right at 60 years, time gets away so quickly. Winston Churchill, he was a master of communication. He was a gifted at casting vision to the British people, especially during World War II as prime minister, he developed a pattern that people have picked up on and they've written about it. This is a pattern that he used each time that he began to communicate vision to people. Here are the five tools that he utilized. He had a strong beginning. Meaning when he began to talk to you or he talked to a group of people, he captured their attention. If you're going to be a man or a woman of faith that is a leader in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to walk in such a manner that when you begin to talk about the kingdom, you capture their attention. The second tool is this. He had one thing. He stayed focused. That's hard for us preachers. We go on rabbit trails all the time. But Winston Churchill, when he stood, he spoke, and he spoke directly to the point. He stayed focused. He didn't allow politicians. He didn't allow others. He didn't allow what others was doing to deter him from his assignment. He stayed focused. If you're going to be a godly leader, you're going to have to learn how to stay focused. And I'm going to tell you something. That focus is not supposed to be on us. That focus is on the kingdom of God. It's got to be on the throne room. The third pattern, third piece of the puzzle, if you will, of his, of his pattern that he used, he used simple language. Listen, you can use the largest vocabulary that you know, but if you're not articulating what you're trying to say, you're speaking as a barbarian to people. Use simple language. Precise and to the point. Fourthly is this, word pictures. Let your words paint a picture. Winston Churchill did an amazing job of getting people to see what he was speaking. I just had a conversation recently. Those of you that was here may remember the service where I began, and it doesn't happen often, but there was an encounter in this room, and there was a vision I saw where I saw the I, I, I'm, 
I saw a picture of Christ and he was down this coral with big pillars. And those of you who was here heard me, heard me describe what I was seeing while it was unfolding. I, I've got an artist in Florida that's getting ready to start painting that picture for me. And this is what she said. Tell me again what you saw. Tell me again what you saw. If it turns out good, I'm going to take credit saying I painted a good word picture. If it turns out bad, I'm going to say she wasn't listening. But you got to have a word picture. And then fifthly, and I don't know how well I'll do that tonight, but you got to have an emotional ending. Meaning this, I got to compel you to a place of action. It does you no good nor myself any good if we sat here tonight and we just took an hour of our time and you say that was really good teaching preacher but you don't apply it to your life. It really doesn't do any good if I sit here and I study and I labor over and pray over and I say God I'm going to give it to them like you said but then if I don't apply it to my life it's of no value. Here's my conclusion tonight, and it should be how we conclude everything that we're doing for the kingdom of God. And is this, how must we handle this vision is number one, we must see it clearly. We must show it creatively. And we must also say it consistently. That's why as long as you attend this house, as long as I'm the pastor of this house, you will continue to hear Matthew chapter 28, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That's why you'll continually hear me say it's not about position or title. It's not about anything other than somebody getting a God-given vision to say, you know what? It has to be different. It should be different. And we can make it different. But I wonder today, I wonder today, is there an appetite for a change? the effective leaders that have led us to this place all of them perceived a need they possessed a gift they paraded a passion and they persuaded a people and they pursued a purpose I wonder tonight are we doing the same what will make those children in those Sunday school rooms on Sunday morning began to run out and get in the car with their mommies and daddies, aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas and say, I want to be a preacher or I want to be a singer or I want to be a teacher in the kingdom. I want to be a missionary. I want to reach the lost. I want to serve my community. What is going to make that happen? It won't be another lesson plan. It won't be another strategic conversation. It won't be another business meeting. It will be a man or a woman that says, I'm going to operate in a God-given vision and I'm going to do it with passion. I'm going to do it from a place of sacrifice and commitment. The importance of vision tonight. I'm calling you to dream. calling you to a place to let that thing that 
maybe you don't talk about a lot that's laying there and say, could that really be God? Could that really be God wanting me to do that? But I'm so little. I'm so this. I'm so that. Could that really be me? Could that really be what God's saying? Dream. Say, God, give me the vision. God, give me the direction. God, give me the boldness. Give me the passion. Lord, give me the direction. I'll do it. I'll do it. If that's you tonight under the sound of my voice, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, not to me, but I want you to say to God, say, God, I'm available and I'm available right now. Because can I tell you, that's when things change. Dear Heavenly Father, tonight, I thank you Lord, I thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, for your calling. I thank you for your Holy Spirit prodding and pricking at our hearts. It's calling us to be godly leaders. today, Lord, as we stand in your house, we take just a moment in the midst of all of the business of our lives, Lord, I first pray for divine clarity to be granted to your people. In your word, we are warned of a time to come. where this earth would be filled with busy bodies going to and fro while people perished lost without you Lord today we're just we're just a group of people in the middle of the cornfields in Indiana but Lord that doesn't hinder you But Lord, you've designed and placed us here. We could have been born in Africa or Asia, but you saw fit for us to be born right here in this geographical region. And the reason for that is because you have a plan for our lives. You've kept your hand up on this ministry for many years and we find ourselves now been the spiritual fathers and mothers and the adults of the ministry that so many have set in through the years. But Lord, sometimes I pause and I question, do we really understand the vision? So Lord, today I pray. I pray for vision to be granted. Pray for it to be clearly stated in their lives, in their homes. Lord, let them see the need as you saw when you looked at the people that was before you that day. And Lord, let us move as you moved. 
Let us move to a place of action. Your word teaches us and warns us that the ones that are found sitting in a place of idleness bring shame and we don't want to be found idle today. But we want to be found actively pursuing the God-given vision that you are birthing in our hearts. Maybe, Lord, if there's some that's under the sound of our voice that don't necessarily have that clarity or know that see that vision, Lord, I'm praying for there to be vision granted to them. And let them realize that this isn't about them, but it's about all of us becoming that designated part of the body that you've called us to be so that we could all be fitly joined together so that we could fulfill the tasks that's at hand. So today, Lord, I pray for vision. I pray for health. I pray for strength. I pray for clarity. But Lord, I also pray for a burden. A burden for the lost. A burden for the hurting. Lord, I pray for a heart of compassion. I pray for a baptism of anguish to be upon your people across this nation in such a manner that it would propel us to be so unsatisfied with the status quo that we would change immediately. And that we would be willing to be led by your Holy Spirit that we would willingly become your hands and feet. So today, Lord, I pray for favor and blessing upon your people. I pray that this week would be a week of great opportunity and blessing and business and the endeavors that they find themselves in. But Lord, we're preparing the atmosphere for camp meeting this week. Lord, let Friday night be a time where your people are encouraged and just spoken to. Lord, I believe the man of God is bringing a fresh word. And Lord, I know you're going to deal with hearts on Friday evening as well as Saturday and Sunday. But Lord, today, we yield and we submit all that we are to what you're calling us to be in Jesus' name. And the church says, amen. Pastor Jade Abrams here. I just want to thank you for watching and joining with us today. We're so glad that you chose to be with us. We just encourage you to stay in contact with us. Click, follow, subscribe on all of our social media platforms to stay up to date what's happening here at PTC. We bless you in Jesus' name and we love you and so does God. Have a good day.